Welcome to Com Speaks, a podcast series produced by the Department of Communication Studies at Tarleton State University. On today's episode, we celebrate the department's 15th anniversary. You'll hear about what was, what is, and what will be concerning communication studies at Tarleton State as faculty, friends, and students celebrate our 15-year journey of excellence. From our studios here in Stephenville, Texas, here's your host, Dr. Tracy Holly. This is Tracy Holly here with our inaugural podcast for the 15th anniversary of the Department of Communication Studies. And what we're going to do this semester and throughout the years, get to know some of our faculty members a little better and on more than just the academic level. And starting us off is Dr. Jennifer Edwards. And I'm not going to do an introduction because the questions will kind of pull that out. Sounds great. So this is our 15th year, Dr. Edwards. So I thought I would ask, first of all, how long have you been with the department? You know, I have been with the department since... Goodness, August of 2007. It's been a great journey so far. Oh, wow. Okay. So were we in Davis Hall when you joined us? Yeah, we were in Davis Hall. I actually had my interview in Davis Hall. I remember coming up to the stairs and being in the, the break room. And it was interesting. My interview was in the break room, and I saw all of the duct work that, you know, was there from the construction because that was when, I guess, the department first moved into Davis right, Hall. Right, right. And I remember your teach. We did go over to the uh, Fine Arts Building for yes, that. Yes, yes. I remember how enthusiastic you were. I remember that Yes, very and much. the students were amazing. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a great, you know, Stephenville was a great community. I moved here from Huntsville. Um, I was working at St. Houston State. So it was almost a, a mirror of Huntsville with, you know, minus the, the facilities, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so can... You know, thinking about Davis Hall, I always ask people, do you have any specific memory of Davis Hall? Because it was a very unusual way to have faculty arranged. I was on the top floor eventually. I started in the bottom floor in a cubby hole no one could find. And we were split between first floor, I think third floor, and uh, first floor, second floor, and fourth floor. Yeah. Where were you? I was actually on the second floor, so my... Every day I started um, walking up steps because obviously the elevator in Davis Hall was not the best. And so (laughs) I just wanted to avoid the elevator at all costs. But um, I was in the middle of the second floor and I was actually up there with some grantees um, from the education, from the College of Education. So it was great getting to know them. They were amazing. And so they were my colleagues. And then down the hallway, I had Dr. Wakefield as well as uh, as. Dr. Horton. So it was a great, I think we were the only ones down there. Um, and then Dr. Maven then joined us downstairs, but it was a great um, team, especially starting out first year um, in the department. Yeah. And you were right about that elevator. I did get stuck on it once. <laughs> <laughs> you were so smart, but I didn't want to take the stairs to the fourth floor. <laughs> well, and then also it, it was interesting, but the, the, it, there was always something interesting in the stairwell. And so uh, <laughs> I would say on the left-hand side, when you um, would come up the stairs, there would be this gummy bear. I think it was a green gummy bear, and it was 
it was stuck there for about two years and no one wanted to remove it from the door, but it was a green gummy bear. So that was something that, you know, you always, I always look for the little things to kind of brighten my day. And I thought I was the only one who saw it until the students started mentioning, hey, did you see that gummy bear? And it became like this conversation in class. Yeah, we have these these little things about Davis Hall we remember, and mine is the office next to me, which was uh, Dr. Milford before me and then Dr. Gowen moved in is I started walking in her office one day and I kept going down no matter what angle I would slope to the middle yeah. and we found out there was a dra- old drain closed up under there because that had been uh, a, me- a men's dormitory yeah and that's where the shower was you know what Davis Hall had it had its quirks I mean definitely so <laughs> yeah. definitely so okay but you took a journey um through that here and you've gone uh, through several phases where you've been here full-time and tell us a little bit about when you left full-time and then have come are you back full-time completely because not really <laughs> it, that's debatable that's debatable <laughs> it depends on the day um, so basically I in 2012 after I had my baby I started basically serving as assistant vice president um, over student success and multicultural initiatives worked with some amazing people but i loved it because it enabled enabled me to keep a presence in communication studies as well as serve the entire university in that capacity so i did that from 2012 to 2017 and so that was great so i was excited to come back i uh, i was asking to come back for a while so it was exciting to um to come back to communication studies um i really at that time wanted to get into a lot of back into my writing um back into grant writing and also back into like helping to serve the community because i'm realizing especially in our rural communities and stephenville is in fact in a rural community it's important to make sure that our population has the same access to resources as people in austin and houston and dallas and san antonio yeah and speaking of a rural community one of your fields is uh one of your outside link to the university i guess developments yeah because i want to get away from academia for a while is your rural communication and i think that is so fascinating to me because even though my parents took us into small towns to live yeah all my grandparents all my family and when i was very little it was all out learning how to can and quilt and do all these things and we seemed to for a long time be losing a lot of that yeah. so i wanted to see what you could tell us about your passion about rural communication and what you plan to do and what you hope comes out of that sure so the rural communication institute was founded in 2019 and it became evident that there was not anything like that in I will not say the state of Texas, but even beyond the state of Texas and the nation. So most rural research actually stems from Asia, from Europe, from South America, from Canada, from Mexico. And it's very important that we also add to that conversation as well um, as individuals in the United States. And so we looked at some gaps that existed with the research and also with connecting people to resources became um, you know, one of our our passion projects for RCI or for the Rural Communication Institute. And so basically from that, we started um, writing a lot of grants. We started um, providing a lot of outreach for the community. We have a podcast. We have amazing grad students and undergrad students who are passionate about rural areas. Either they are from a rural area or they have family members like their grandma, grandpa, et cetera, who live in a rural area. And so that is 
who we've attracted to this institute. Um, it's amazing because we've been able to do such things as outreach in the community to help um, people health-wise. We have individuals that we're helping right now who live in an area that does not have access to running water. And so, oh, um, yeah, yeah, they exist in Texas. And so helping connect them to state resources um, that can help facilitate um, the either the digging of a water well or connecting them to the community water system, um, which is, is a project in itself. Um, but also, we our goal, our model and our goal is to um, help Texans, especially especially Texans, but in, even individuals beyond Texas, live, learn, and thrive. We have 15 rural scholars from across the nation, from California to New York, and so they are all passionate about rural communication. That is fascinating, and you know, I really wouldn't have thought that in 2021 we would have a place in Texas where. You know, that's not what we think of, unfortunately, yeah. that someone right here does not have running water in a community. Yeah. So no one has it. No, they actually have water um, brought in through a, a, a truck. So a truck, like every month, will bring water and will fill the, the um, I guess, the <laughs> tank. And then they um, have what, that's how they wow. they get water. Because on average, it's about fifteen dollars to $20,000 to drill a water well. Oh, so yeah, that is. Uh, many years ago, I headed out into East, no, West Texas, far yeah. out in West Texas, and I will never forget. I was going with a friend to her hometown, and we passed a sign that said, "Water not approved for public consumption." And yes, I had ma'am. never seen anything like that. Like, I can't drink the water, and then I forgot about it, and I drank the water out of the sink out oh, of the faucet, no. and I was drinking it, and they came in and said. And I said, you know what? It's the best water I ever tasted. And I said, what? <laughs> but then I drank from the wells. My grandparents yeah. had a push a pump well. Yeah. It wasn't in pipes yet. Yeah. And heaven knows what I drank out of. I mean, and who who knows? I mean, that's why it's always important. And that's another piece to make sure that individuals in our rural areas know about things that could, you know, help or, or potentially harm them health-wise. Because right. you never know what's in your water if you do not get it tested. And also, you know, a, a lot of our rural residents are on septic systems. So to know the importance of making sure that you have your septic system a certain, um, like away from your fruits and your vegetable plants and things of that nature, and to make sure that runoff will not affect your um, food supply. Yeah. But just... Yeah, and also one thing I wanted to really emphasize is that many people associate rural with ag, and that's also part of our narrative as well. Um, rural does not necessarily mean ag. Rural can mean rural politics, rural um, community structures, rural um, outreach when it comes to childcare and when it comes to education, when it comes to owning businesses, when it comes to um, almost anything in rural areas, it does not necessarily just mean ag. So that's part of our narrative as, as well. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, when you said, you know, we don't have rural communication until you started this institute here, we're just, it's an area we were ignoring. The, it seemed like the only research I ever read before that, prior to that, was about water rights or peanuts. Yes. Or that's what rural uh research was and it, it was very agrarian yes and it's so much more like you said child care health care yes um, so much more and i'm uh, well it sounds incredible i can't wait to keep seeing where that goes and what comes out of that and and um how can the community at large get involved in that if they're interested yeah um, basically this 
well, we have the Texas Social Media Research Institute, and so that's what we're focused on for the fall semester mm -hmm. when it comes to outreach and events. Um, we have our podcast that we publish every week, so they can listen in uh, to our podcast. Just search for Rural Communication Institute podcast, which is called Think Rural. So um, that is um, is on Spotify as well as iTunes and other podcast platforms. And then also one thing that I do want to want to emphasize is that we met with our rural scholars and we were going to have a rural week like we usually do in the fall semester, but they wanted something more. They wanted a summit and they wanted something that would have a platform to make sure that their field, that our legislators and, and our community leaders could listen to it and and um, become involved and so they wanted to have a actual summit and so we'll we will have that in um, either i think it's april of next year so april 2022 and everyone can get involved in that so we're very excited about um, that very excited about that okay one other quick passion i want to let you talk about a little bit before we wrap it up is i know um I actually did the census because you kept saying, do the Thank census, you. do the census, <laughs> do the census. And I know that the census and uh, uh, not so much voting rights, so that is a huge part of it, but uh, the just having the ability to get there to vote, uh, have all the pieces in place you need to vote are very important. Can you talk to that a little bit about what you hope to do with that in the future? So regarding the census or regarding um, voting? Voting. So basically with, um, with the census, we discovered that many of our individuals in rural areas, um, sometimes we, <laughs> we don't necessarily get involved. Um, as we were taught in school, like get involved, political participation is great. And then you get into your jobs, you get into the bill paying every month and you, that fire is lost. And we want to reinvigorate that fire when it comes to political participation, especially in rural areas. So that means, hey, take the census. That means go to your um, county commissioner's meeting, go to your city government meeting, Run. think about running for office, but also most importantly, take the census and, and vote. And one thing that I, that I emphasize to the rural um, individuals in rural areas is if you do not take the census, there's no record of you living in that place when it comes to 100, 200 years from now. Because if you think about it, many of um, our rural people and people from um, from every um, sector of the U.S., they do ancestry research. So that's the only way that they're able to find their people. And it's important to know your people. So with that, um, voting is very important as well as part of that political participation because when you do not vote, um, I, I tell people, when you, when you do not vote, when you do not go to the poll and cast your vote, you literally don't have a say when it comes to the the items that are going on that go on in your community so voting is very important because you're voting for those leaders you're voting for your issues and so especially with our rural residents they have the ability to get to know the people that they're voting for exactly they yeah you know, people don't realize your voting can impact everything from will you have parking meters yes. to who goes on the ballot for you know the the legislature yes uh, it's it's every little thing to every big thing and i think we do often let that slip up in our everyday minutia that we forget that we think about the presidential election but we forget there's a school board election oh, there's yeah. a there's uh what is this about a new tax we might put you know we forget Our, if that. taxes increase people always complain if taxes increase but did you go to the board meeting 
to hear about the pros and cons of that tax increase mm -hmm. or keeping it the same. But also, you know, there's so many things coming down the pipeline when it comes to voting, mm -hmm. especially um, those affect our rural areas. Um, we, a lot of people in our rural areas have to work uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, many of them work in, in factories. Many of them work at chicken processing plants and um, or other types of factories in rural areas. I mean, but that's not, those are not all the occupations. But even if you think about our teachers, our teachers are typically working from seven until um, sometimes six when it comes to um, their duties for their school district. Mm -hmm. So having time to go to the polls to vote is very important. However, sometimes you can't just leave your classroom to go ca cast your vote. Sometimes right. you just can't leave the chicken processing line to go cast your vote. So it's important to make sure that people have different options when it comes to voting. But also with our rural residents, it's important that they know what the rules are before voting time comes mm -hmm. around. And you know, even backing up from that, I. I have been reading just constantly about the voter ID and how it is, it really impacts certain populations more than others. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, wait, I know Georgia does a free, and my friend said, let's back it up, Tracy. Let's yeah. think about this. In order to get your, any kind of ID to vote, even the free ones, uh -huh. you have to provide a birth certificate or some other proof of citizenship. Well, that means you have to stop right for that pay for that and that's a burden on some people yes often take off work drive to the courthouse because five times and they still have not sent you that yes person. so the burden stop starts way back of getting especially in the rural communities as you said just getting the id in place and then worrying about getting to a way to get to a poll to vote so it's really backs up all the way well and then also one thing that i discovered i had to re recently request a copy of my birth certificate and one thing that was interesting is that you can only request your birth certificate i think five times I did not yeah, know that. in Texas. After that, do you just not exist anymore? Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what they do, but they said that you can, I think it's only only five times. You can request it only five times. So use that sparingly. So mm -hmm. if you're, if you, like if your mom and dad or grandpa or whoever misplaced it and you maybe misplaced yours, then what happens, so say if there was a, a casual, I mean, you know, a, a fire or something, or emergency or a tornado or whatever, and you lose that if you're in a high risk area of Texas, what happens? Mm -hmm. So that's also one thing yeah. to keep in mind as well. And you know, you also mentioned that census for finding out who your people are. Yeah. Because something I tell college students is, have you, does your family trace its history? I know you've done a lot yeah. of genealogical, know the history of your family in Texas Most of the, and even they're before. They're from rural areas. Yeah, my <laughs> mother. Yes, the rural people seem to be more <laughs> uh, uh, knowledgeable about that. And yeah. so you can always, Grandma Exy can tell you when, you know. Mm -hmm. But I always tell them, you know, another reason it could be important is there are scholarships tied to yes. some of that. And if you don't have the proof, you won't get one. They yes. get scholarships for people whose family, you don't have to live there, but family was in so-and-so county yes. from a certain date. And so those are really important in other aspects of life that we don't often think about. Very much so. Okay, I've got one last question for sure. you. It's always the annoying question, but you have to wrap up. <laughs> so my question is, so you've been here since 2007, everything you've done, everything you've gone through, everything you're developing, all your research and everything, you right now, if you could step back and talk to Dr. Jennifer Edwards in oh, 2007. Oh, no, <laughs> please don't do this to me. What would you either A, do differently if you want to do that, or B, what advice would you give yourself? I would, oh goodness, that that is a, 
a question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I would definitely tell myself to take a break. Um, you know, sometimes, especially if you're on tenure track or if you, you know, set goals for yourself, you're going from grad school to um, a certain position or whatever, and you haven't really had a break. And I, I've never had a break. And so that's one thing I would really tell myself, take a break. Breaks are important because when you do those, you can recharge and you become, can become your fully functional self. And so I would definitely tell myself from 20, um, 2007 to make sure that you take a break so you can sit, reflect, and then move forward and charge. Right. Well, Dr. Edwards, I want to thank you very much for being here today in our inaugural uh, podcast. Thank and, you for uh, the opportunity. You will also be somewhere in the documentary that will be coming, so don't run away. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. For more information about our podcast series or the Department of Communication Studies at Tarleton, visit us online at tarleton.edu communications or find us on social media by searching for Tarleton Comptoir.